morning, church. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm a covenant partner here at First Press, and this morning I have the privilege of reading sacred scripture. Uh, I invite you this morning to turn to, in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Uh, we continue worship this morning through studying Acts chapter 4, celebrating the personal cost of corporate witness. The grace of God is free, but it is not cheap. Jesus gave his life for us, and believers are adopted into God's family. As dearly loved children, Christians are called to walk in love as Christ has loved us, giving himself for us. A community of sacrificial love will shine brightly in corporate witness. Hear now the reading of God's word. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called uh, excuse me, who was called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All flesh is grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Good morning, church. Add my greetings to those that you've already heard. Good morning. It is a joy to worship with you. If you don't have your Bibles open, I encourage you to open them. There's some in the pew rack right in front of you. Uh, and if you can't find one, you want to look at your phone, uh, go ahead and use the Bible there. The hope is that we study the Word of God and allow uh, that to sink deeply into our hearts as children of God that by the power of the Spirit of God, we might be more transformed into the image of God so that together we can live for the glory of God. This is a significant part of worship in studying the Word. The context of this passage, we've been doing a series on worship, I mean on witness, and jumping around the book of Acts. And the context of this particular passage is, is significant. Uh, there is a potential for the early disciples, the early church, though they are growing in numbers, to be discouraged. Chapter 4 to this point has uh, been saturated with external persecution uh, from the government authorities, from religious authorities, and most recently the church has gathered together and prayed for boldness, and they prayed for the Holy Spirit to, to fill them and come upon them, and this passage is, is right after that. Following this passage in chapter 5, we, we see internal problems with the church, that there is actually a deceit that leads to division and even death. And unity then, as we study, is, is, a, is a weapon. But more than that, for our purposes, uh, unity is a witness. And as we have studied and celebrated the opportunity that we have to be a witness for Jesus, we return to the reality that we are not alone in that, that God's design is that his people together in unity have a corporate witness. And today we're going to celebrate God's grace by noting that the 
the, the cultivation of God's work in our heart, it leads to joyful generosity that has tremendous personal cost. You say, Mitchell, did you say joyful generosity that has tremendous personal cost? Yes, I did. And I did because it's actually very biblical and it's an invitation for us. But first, let's establish the principle that how we live together and how we love one another actually overflows to the world around us. Now, I want to show you a few pictures to illustrate the principle. All right. The first picture that you're going to see, some of you may have seen before. It's actually an 18-wheeler truck that was carrying Alfredo sauce on Highway 40 across the state of Tennessee. It spilled. It spilled out. And it covered the whole highway. And, and you know what the highway patrol officer said when he pulled up onto the scene? He said, smells like Olive Garden. <laughs> it's true. It reminded me of the, uh, the truck that was carrying manure earlier in the summer in the southeast. And it spilled all over the place. And uh, the highway patrol officer came up. He said, smells like Lubbock. Just kidding. But it, it, that did happen. <laughs> I shared this picture in our uh, contemporary service, and we're just establishing the, the principle that what's inside of us when we love each other, it actually overflows to the world around us. And someone sent me another picture uh, that was of this, this truck that spilled in Florida on uh, an interstate there. You know what those are? Those are Coors Light cans. <laughs> And the, he texted me this picture, and he says, unfortunately, too often the church smells like this. Too much like our society, and not enough like the fragrance of Christ. And isn't that true, that oftentimes the, the corporate witness that God has designed for, for us to, to know the work of Christ and to smell like the love of Christ oftentimes smells a lot like the world. And I, I'm here to tell you, friends, as we unpack scripture, we are going to have the invitation to celebrate a gospel-centered community that, that puts on display the aroma of Christ. And, and let me start by encouraging you. You know what happened yesterday and this week? This week has been our Love San Antonio week. This week we've had love spill out from our congregation all over the city. Sunday night, we had a, a, a worship service. We've, we've partnered with five different churches in planting in San Antonio. You know why? Because we have more and more people that don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've never heard of it. We've had more and more people move here, and we need more churches. And so we've, we've collaborated in partnering churches, and we've got plans to have more. We, we had love spill out. And people came to this worship service, many of you were there, and they said, I think this is what heaven's going to look like. It was amazing. And all through the week, we've got a few more activities next week, but yesterday morning, more than 200 members, covenant partners of our church, we, we did a service project. I love just spilled out all over the city. We went to 12 different ministry partners of our 24 local ministry partners. And we served you know, our neighbors who are homeless, who need, who need love and dignity. We, we serve teen moms. We serve under-resourced schools on the east side. Uh, we partnered with our, some elderly folks at Morningside. Uh, we uh, went out to Peaches and over to Haven for Hope. And uh, we, we, just, we just spread the love of Jesus everywhere. 
And from our congregation, you know, three testimonies kind of come to mind real quick. First one, uh, we, you know, we had a lot of young leaders lead these projects. And over at Haven, it was a collaborative between some of our young adults and older adults. The, uh, the age range actually went on our leadership team for this from in their 20s to in their 80s. How's that for beautiful intergenerational relationship? And someone said about a Saturday morning or, uh, service project, they said, I had no idea it would be this great. Quote, I couldn't have imagined it. <laughs> wow. And then I got a text from somebody else that said, man, I didn't realize that I would be so blessed being a blessing to others. And then finally, one of our uh, uh, elders who served said to me, man, how is it that I always forget how joyful it is to serve others? You see, we understand the principle when it comes to 18-wheelers that are driving down the highway. We understand it when it comes to mission projects that we do every now and then. But the gospel frees us to this invitation of, of joyous and sacrificial love that is normal. Truly, what Jesus teaches is the best, highest for our life. That it's more blessed to give than receive. That if you want to find your life, then lose it. If you want to be full, give yourself away. That's what we're going to talk about today. But before we go to the word of the Lord, will you go to the Lord of the word with me and pray and ask his spirit to bless us? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the opportunity to know your grace, to celebrate the reality that you who were rich became poor so that all who trust in you can become rich in love and grace. We ask now that you would fill us with your spirit, open our eyes to the power of your word and your presence among us and help us to not just be inspired, Lord, but truly be transformed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you could re-look down at your Bibles, starting at verse 32, we see immediately the first point. There is tremendous strength that is found in unity. Uh, the full number of those who believed, they were of one heart and of one soul. And no one said any of the things that belonged to them was their own. They had everything in common. This genuine strength that comes from authentic community that even in our individual weakness, we find a corporate and collective strength because truly people who know the love of Christ consider others' needs more important than themselves. This unity that gives greater strength is God's design. All through Scripture, we see God's design for unity. In the garden, after he created Adam, he saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so he, he created a helpmate for him, Eve, in Genesis 2, uh, that they might come together and be one flesh. Uh, Jesus modeled the same sort of strength and unity that when he sent his disciples out in Mark chapter 6 uh, and all through the New Testament, he did so on mission two by two collectively corporately because there's strength in unity uh, we know that all through the old testament and the new that the the valid validation uh, of a person's witness is that it can be corporate collective that multiple witnesses are needed Deuteronomy 19.15 uh, is a great place to see that. And Jesus actually leverages that when he talks about the witness 
of the church, that where two or more are gathered, Jesus says, there I am with them also. The validation of that, of that unity, the strength that comes with Christ's presence being there. And, and the wisdom of, of Scripture all through uh, the Bible, but especially in Ecclesiastes 4, it teaches and celebrates that, uh, that a cord of three strands can't be broken. That there is a strength that comes in unity. It is God's design. Now, in Scripture, there definitely is bad unity. Think about the Tower of Babel when everybody came together to make their own name great. That was scattered in very weak unity. But true unity comes centered on God's work in Jesus Christ, his redemption, and under the authority of God's word. And you are right when we read this passage. You say, this sounds a lot like Acts chapter 2 that we studied a few um, weeks ago. And, and you're right, it is a lot like chapter 2. In fact, as the church continued to grow in the New Testament, unity continued to deepen. They were devoted to fellowship with one another. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, is what we see in this passage. It says, though, in Acts 4, what it doesn't say in Acts 2 is that they had a unity of heart and a unity of mind. This isn't unity as a program. This is unity as a normal reality for personal relationship. This is more than just being in the same place. It's coming together as one people. And just like our Sunday night worship service, this feeling of like, wow, the church in our city is really one in Christ. Now, Paul, all through the New Testament, is going to emphasize, and, and the other apostles, James and uh, John and Peter do it as well, uh, that, that unity is our delight as displayed in the direction for the early church. Uh, you see this, uh, the verse printed on your screen, verses 1 to 5, um, from Philippians chapter 2. He says, if there's any encouragement in being united to Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being full accord and in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This celebration of unity, this, this considering others better than ourselves, having the mind of Christ, living the love of Christ, I taste it all the time in our congregation. This week I was able to go to a women's circle, uh, and they didn't know it, but I was sitting outside. I did not sit in the whole time for the whole circle, all right? Uh, but I did sit outside till it was my turn. And all of the conversation before I got in there was about how they could reach out and welcome people who are new to our community. And then when I came in, uh, what they asked questions about was how could they be more intentional as a women's circle in loving the next generation in our congregation? I found that as an extreme delight and encouragement, empowering to me, this, this visible picture of our people seeking to be unified with people that are of a different age, different stage, different slice of life, divesting to invest in the greater community. The primary identity in this is, is important because what normally unites us outside of the church is going to be dividing us inside the church if we see it as our primary identity. 
If our primary identity is our, is our vocation, or our primary identity is our family, or our primary identity is our school, the zip code we live in, the clubs that we're a part of, then that is going to lead to division within the church. The church is a renewed people where Jesus Christ and his work is our primary identity. It's who we are as children of God, and that leads to and fuels mutual participation in one another's lives. Unity has great strength, but also generosity gives power to our proclamation. Now, culturally, we know this. We all know the phrase, put your money where your mouth is, right? Like, like back up your talk. Don't just speak with your lips, but let me see it with your life. And the church is all about that. If you look down in this passage, you see uh, verse 33, it was with great power that the apostles were giving the testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great power. And then verse 34 and there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or house, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each who had need. The proclamation from the apostles' lips was, was authenticated and validated and given substance by the lives of the early church. This image that it's the word of God that's transforming the people of God more into the image of God, that they worship a savior who gave himself for them. So the right response to that grace is to give ourselves for one another. And in particularly for a Western context and, and at this point in American history where we are the most uh, abundant, fruitful, wealthy, secure people that have ever lived in history. Unbelievable. We see how the resurrection, this teaching of the apostles, actually reframes our understanding of wealth. And Jesus teaches it that where our treasure is, there our heart is also. And he admonishes us and encourages us to, to build treasure in heaven. And truly, the, the gold in our pockets and our accounts now is just going to be pavement in the kingdom of God later. Do you believe that? I'm sorry. Do you believe that? Yeah. Like that's why the streets are paved with gold. And yet we store it in our bank accounts today. The currency of this world will not carry into eternity. So we're encouraged to, to spend that currency now. Now, if you've ever done any uh, international travel, uh, you can carry your euros or, or your rupias or, or whatever, your pesos, whatever you use overseas, and you come back to the United States, and you can, you can go all you want to La Panaderia or you know, uh, La Fogata or Chris Madrid or whatever, and you can try to use that foreign currency there, and you know what they're going to say? We don't accept that. We accept U.S. dollars, right? And what this passage reminds us of is, is the way the re resurrection reframes our understanding of wealth, that we see a God who, though he was rich, he became poor for our sake. That's a language of Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He became poor so that we can become rich in love. Therefore, our treasure in our heart is with him. And so all the treasure that he gives us is for him to show love to one another so we can spend that currency now because we sure can't carry it with us later. You, you see the image in the picture, and it's actually fleshed out in this passage. It's unbelievable. Uh, it was Joseph who was called by the apostles Barnabas. Do you see this in verse 36? Can we just prove this from the text? This individual, his name actually means encouragement. He was from the tribe of the Levites. He was, he was a, a, a call to be a mediator of God's blessing. 
He sold the field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Unbelievable how proactive it was. It wasn't that Barnabas was like, or Joseph, it wasn't like he was like, well, if I see a need, you know, maybe I'll fill it. This guy was like, man, Jesus has filled me, and in case there's a need, I'm going to go sell my property and bring it here so the church can provide. Wow, that's unbelievable. Here's what's crazy. You know, that's like part of our history as a church. I was studying and preparing for this uh, lesson and this sermon, and, and I couldn't help but uh, have my mind and my heart go back to the 1970s. Not because I was there. I was just born in 1976, the year of our Lord. But in that same year, uh, there was a local ministry that was getting ready to fold. And yesterday, our congregation sent people to Mission Road. And in 1976, our session at this church felt that ministry to special needs children and family was too essential to our city to let it go. And so the session prayed about it, and they decided to totally take over and rehabilitate Mission Road. And they filled the board, they raised money to fill the accounts at great personal cost. They led uh, Mission Road until now. When we go there, they serve over 850 special needs children and adults. They have over a $20 million budget, and they have over 200 people on staff. And we just volunteer. By the way, we join over 1,500 volunteers that serve there, all because our congregation said, at great personal cost, we are going to hold this outpost of the kingdom. That's the heritage we have. It's what we get to participate in. But it leads us to the last point. You say, Mitchell, uh, I, I see the picture you're painting, but I'm not sure where you get the joy of the generosity. Uh, here's where I do. I skipped a phrase. And I have to apologize. If you look at the end of verse 33, I want to go back and visit this phrase, and you see it. It says, great grace was upon them all. Can you say that with me? Great grace was upon them all. Great grace covered the church. Why does grace meddle? Mad, meddle? <laughs> no, that guy needs a nap. No. <laughs> Why does grace matter? Because in Hebrews 12, we learn that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus Christ endured the cross. That joy was his church, his bride, those who would believe the message of the apostles that would receive his love, grace being God's riches at Christ's expense, the reality of his incarnation, that he left the treasures of heaven because there was a greater treasure that is his people so that we can know his love and grace and share that greater treasure by loving one another in the same way. Our identity as children of God, as members of God's family, get, leads to the charitability that we have with one another in the world. If our identity is social status, is, then that is just going to fracture us. But when our identity is God's children, then we can't help but to be charitable. This is the way Paul puts it in Ephesians 5, 1-2. Therefore, be imitators of God 
As beloved children, walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering in the sacrifice of God. Friends, the formula is absolutely simple. I don't like math, but I can do basic math like this. God's great love plus God's great grace equals a joyfully generous church. And we have trouble understanding the king's economy. We have trouble embracing the king's teaching that truly it is more blessed to give than receive. It's truly more filling to give our life away than it is to try to fulfill ourselves just by accumulating more. But if scripture's not enough, I want to remind you of something else from our past. I'm writing something right now, and so I'm scouring through things, and I I found a quote in our, our, actually, the history book of our church uh, from a, a, a San Antonio Express News article in 1982. Listen to this. And I quote, A downtown church that grows is swimming upstream as people move further and further into the suburbs. Speaking of Pastor Louis Abendon, it says, He was a man who possessed a great deal of charisma, He had assembled an excellent staff. Now, this is in the city newspaper. The members of that church considered a part of their responsibility to get laity deeply involved in mission, the ministry to the larger community. Listen to this. In the newspaper of our city. Everywhere you go, you find people from this flock involved. And the pastor attributes the growth of their church to this involvement. It goes on to say, all you have to do is show these people a need and they will move like gangbusters to get involved. That's why they're experiencing growth. Now, you hear that, you can't help but be inspired. That's what we're a part of. But you can also be convicted. If you're like me, you're like, well, what if I'm not that joyful in my generosity? What if I'm not that joyful in sharing, in showing love. Here's how I diagnose my own heart. Maybe it'll help you. If I'm not joyful in my generosity, if I'm not what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, a cheerful giver, then I may be more religious and self-righteous than I want to admit. It could be that I'm not living out of a wealth of knowing God's love And I'm certainly not acknowledging it as much as I'd like to think. More than likely, when I'm not a cheerful giver or joyful in my generosity, I'm not trusting God's sovereignty, that truly he's a shepherd that will give me my daily bread. And you can count on this fact, definitely, that I have blind spots and that I cannot see my own idolatry. And this gets us to the heart of the matter. Because the answer and the solution is not for the church that oftentimes smells too much like our social world going down the highway of life. The answer is not just try harder, just give more. But it's truly just to rest in the love and grace that God has shown us in Christ. Yes, He loved you so much, his joy was to suffer and die for you. Yes, he became sin and suffered death unjustly so that you become righteous and live life abundantly. Yes, while you were his enemies, Christ died for you so that you could become family. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, 
that we were children of wrath. And the grace that saves us makes us children of God. You see, if we truly want to love sacrificially and joyfully so that our collective corporate witness can shine brightly, then we can never be deceived and think that that will start with our work. It always begins with what Christ has done for us. You are more loved than you even want to begin to comprehend. You're more forgiven than you can begin to understand. You are justified by God's grace so that you can live wholly and fully for God's glory by loving one another and giving yourself as he has loved you and given himself. Let's pray together. Jesus, we believe. Would you help us with our unbelief? Ambush us with your love and grace, we pray. In your name, amen.